Welcome to That We May Be One, a podcast aimed at sharing the stories and testimonies of our ward members to foster a greater sense of love and community. Welcome back to our podcast, sisters. Today, I sit down with Debbie Huber to talk about her life and faith. Debbie and her husband have four kids and have been in the ward for about three years. She has a background in education and is currently serving in the primary. Until just a few weeks ago, Debbie was serving in the Young Women Presidency, where she served from basically the time she moved into our ward. I haven't gotten to know her as well as I'd like to yet, so I asked her friend from Young Women, Jamie Wadman, to tell me something she loves about Debbie. Jamie said this, Debbie is super fun and creative. I think what I love most about her is she has an incredible ability to love others and see them as Heavenly Father sees them. She can identify the great qualities in others and goes out of her way to show them how amazing they are. She is so loving and kind. Oh, wasn't that sweet? What a wonderful insight into Debbie. Thanks for sharing that, Jamie. And I'll add to that that Debbie has always been very friendly and smiley and easy to talk to. And I can tell she has a mother's heart through and through as she talks so tenderly about uh, those in her sphere of care in this interview. Today, Debbie shares how her faith has grown through spending her teenage years in Norway, watching her father host and influence people from all over the world, and watching her niece battle cancer. Hello, sisters. Today, I'm here with Debbie Huber. Debbie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so happy to have you on the podcast. Um, Let's just get started with some bio questions for you. You want to tell us a little bit about your family? All right. Um, So my name is Debbie Huber. And I am married to Scott, and we've been in the ward. We moved in just before 2020, just before the pandemic hit, and we all went into hiding. Um, Yeah, I was telling Debbie, it it felt like they haven't been in the ward that long, but it's because we were all, they moved in and then we didn't see them for a year because of COVID. (laughs) Yeah, so we've we've been here, but we've been in Roseville about, oh, 23 years. So Scott and I have been married 24. Four years we're coming up on 25 and um, we have four children our oldest is Megan she is 21 and is just starting her senior year at BYU she is um, she'll be graduating in public relations with a business minor and she's had an incredible experience um, at BYU she's been able to do study abroad in Italy and She's worked for BYU Athletics um, since she was a freshman and has loved that experience. And that's really where she would love to go is uh, PR with a sports oh, team. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and then Josh is our second. He is 18. We just got him tucked away in his dorm at BYU. So it's fun. They'll be on campus together for a year, have each other. It's funny. I was joking because I just, I just got back from getting him moved in and I joke that you know with the age change of missionaries we keep we talk about what's best for the missionaries is it better for them to go straight right. out from high school or to have a year of college to adjust and I came home and I said to Scott like it was so hard to say goodbye to him I'm like I think we're missing a person in this conversation I think the <laughs> mom needs the mom needs a year to adjust to right. them yes. living away from them because you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of this empty nesting. <laughs> I'd love to have everybody home and tucked mm-hmm. in my home. Yeah. So, so it'll be good. It'll be a good experience for me to, now I'm split in half because I've got two, two at school and two at home. So then our third is Brooklyn and she's a junior at West Park High School. And our youngest is Chloe and she's 13. She's eighth grade at Chilton. Okay. So, um... And I, Scott and I have been married almost 25 years. We, we met at BYU, but we didn't date at BYU. Oh, okay. We both graduated single. Um, he actually, his roommate passed away in a snowmobiling accident uh, wow. at, while, while they were there. And his roommate had built these condos. And so that's where we met was he was living in the condos trying to sell them for Ron's mom. And we had moved in to one of the condos. And so for a while there, it was just us and him next door. And so he used to bake a pan of brownies and come over and we'd take forks and we'd just eat brownies out of the pan. <laughs> and he would just girl chat with all of us. And so he was like one of the girls. <laughs> he would just come and hang out, but nothing ever happened. We never dated or anything like that. And so 
he moved away after the condos got sold and this was before cell phones and early email was just for business and right? so we lost all contact. <laughs> and so it was I graduated and I started teaching elementary school in Provo. I taught second grade and uh, my friend who was teaching first grade next door to me was also single and she started dating his roommate. And so James was like, I want to set you up with my roommate Scott and <laughs> so they set us up not knowing that we already knew each other so oh that's funny once we once we saw each other it was you know it was instant <laughs> so oh, we dated awesome. my third year that I taught and then we ended up getting married during spring break <laughs> and um he had talked about how he always wanted to go to law school he was selling real estate and I was 25 and he was 30 we weren't you know spring chickens and right. so I'm like if you want to go to law school it's now or never and so we spent that next year he studied for the LSAT took the LSAT and applied to law schools and we ended up coming here to Roseville because um, he had a brother that lived here with his family and so okay. we thought it would be a good place to be and we fell in love with Roseville while we were here and decided this this is where we want to be. And we really loved it. And so... Good. And our ward's so glad that you We'd do. never left. So we <laughs> spent most of our time in... Well, the, we started out in first ward. That's where we lived during law school. And um, I continued to teach. I taught for four more years here in Roseville at Heritage Oak Elementary, which I lucked out. This was back when budgets were really good in education. <laughs> and when I moved here, that was like when the class sizes were 20 to 1. And mm. when I interviewed, they said, we've got a third grade position or you can become a reading specialist. Because I was our reading, um, our language arts person for our school when I was in Provo. And so I'm like, wow, this kind of sounds cool. So I took the reading specialist position and I got to create what we called a learning center and I had four instructional assistants and we worked with the students that didn't qualify for special needs but they still needed that extra help and so it was this it was an incredible job it was really really good and so I taught those three years he was in law school and then that fourth year you know you hear about the California bar and <laughs> how hard it is to pass and so um luckily he passed it that first year so that first try and so after after I finished out the school year I was pregnant with Josh at the time okay and I finished out the school year and then decided to leave it behind yeah. and be a stay-at-home mom which was a really hard thing to do because it was such I loved teaching it was really mm -hmm. such a huge part of my life and my identity and do you think you'll go back someday? You know, we talk about it. Um, education, I don't know. Like, when I, when I left teaching full-time, I had told myself I wanted to be the volunteer mom that was the greatest ones that came into my classroom. Yeah. Like, I had seen them all. And, like, that's what I'm going to do. And so I had joked at Thomas Jefferson where my kids all went to elementary school. I'm like, I put in 14 years in that copy room. <laughs> <laughs> like that old Rizzo and I are good friends and right. you know and so um so that was really my focus was just really being involved in their elementary right. school and then um the same that same year after I had quit and I had well, I was pregnant with Josh and then just had Josh is when Scott came home and said um that he had been approached by some people to run for the school board and for the elementary school board and so literally in our little front room um i was making copies like pregnant with josh and then holding a newborn and going out and handing out flyers for josh or for scott to run for the elementary school board and um he did get elected and so he started out there for about two years and just as megan was starting kindergarten um, someone on the high school board had passed away and members of the high school board came to him and said, we really want you on this board. <laughs> Come over here. <laughs> Come apply for this position, <laughs> which I struggled with because my heart was in elementary school right. and Megan yeah. was just starting kindergarten. And I said to him, like, they never put the, 
the board members' children in bad teachers' classrooms. <laughs> we need you here. But, um, but he had said, uh, he's like, you know, high school is so such an important time. And it takes so long to get things moved or changed mm. or adjusted. He's like, right. I really want to go to the high school board and make sure that these high schools are, like, good once our kids hit high school. Right. And so he actually just finished up. Um, I had to talk him out of running again. We went through five <laughs> elections. Wow. Um, and so that was, what, like 15 years or so? That 18 he was? years. Wow. Yeah, he was on – He so he was – Two and a half years with the elementary school board and then the rest of the time at the high school okay. board, which was, it was a really good experience. He, he misses being there. He misses the people. Yeah. Um, he, you know, the schools, he was a part of West Park and purchasing that land. He's got, he's got some really good stories about things that he's done, but you know, when we look back on it. It was hard for him to say goodbye to it, but I felt like it was time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was getting to become really time consuming with the way education is now and a lot of negative mm. um, was starting to happen. And so I, I worried about, um, you know, I worried about the law firm and how it would affect because what he does is municipal okay law and um so i just worried about how people in the public might say things or put things on the internet and yeah, how that might affect right. him um and and our law practice and so but he felt such a need to be there as a representative of the church yeah. and to really make sure that those needs are met and so you know i had him sit down once he was done and list the accomplishments over those years with our high schools and you know our high schools really are amazing oh absolutely every single one of them yeah. and you know before the pandemic hit they already had a chromebook one-to-one program so not a day of education was missed right when the pandemic hit like you know those students already knew all about digital learning right and they were prepared they were prepared and so and our teachers, they've, they've always been competitive in their pay to keep the best teachers mm-hmm. around. And it's really, you know, I think it's something to be really proud of for that involvement. Everything that he's helped to accomplish. In our schools, yeah. Time, that's great. And yeah. because of that, he's been able to make, you know, good friends with a lot of people in the community and mm-hmm. leaders. And so that's been, you know, just a few weeks ago we went with... Um, so our vice mayor, she was mayor, then vice mayor, and then she'll be mayor again. But Krista Bernasconi, we were able to go through okay. the Feather River Temple with her. And oh, how cool. Yeah. Her dad was actually raised a member, and so she's really open and has been really good, especially with working with Placer Food Bank and yeah. things like that. So, what a cool yeah, experience. it's been a really cool experience. That's awesome. Well, where did you grow up, Debbie? Where are you from? So, I grew up in Orem, Utah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, spent most of my life there uh-huh. uh, in the same childhood home. In fact, my parents, <laughs> my parents still live there. And when I was home a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I was so lucky to still have my childhood home to come home to. But it's just so funny because um, I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter how old we get. It's still nice to go home yes. and you still kind of fall into that child role. And it's like, my mom's here, my yes. dad's here, you know, just that, you know, you never get too old for those feelings. But so, yeah, I lived in Orem for most of my life, except for ages 13 to 16. My family moved to Norway. Oh. And my dad was mission president, which was an incredible experience for a teenager. And my whole family went. There's six kids in my family. Uh, There's five girls, and then the youngest is a boy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so my little brother was five, and my oldest sister was 18. And we all went over together. In fact, my grandma came with us for the first six months because um, my grandpa also served as a mission president in Norway. And so she came over and just lived with us and helped us get settled and Mm -hmm. adjusted and all that. So it was really such a cool experience. And to go from going to school as a teenager where everybody is a member and it's 
church has never really talked about. Yeah. To going to where not only am I the only member of my school, but the reason I'm living in this foreign country is because of the church. Right. That it's like the first topic of conversation when they're like, so why do you live here? (laughs) You know, and you've got to talk about the church. And so it was really, it probably came at the right time for me being a teenager, being 13 to really, um, be proud of who I am and a member of the church. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I thought it was really cool what my dad was doing. So then to be able to tell people, well, you know, this is why we are here and this is who we are. And, and, um, and to be able to have it received well by others around me, um, was probably a really good boost for really the start of my own testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, I went eighth and ninth grade year. I went to the American school in Oslo, Mm -hmm. which was a Dodds school. It was a department of defense. Um, so it was, it was all military children. Yeah. So learned all about the military, (laughs) learned who likes each other and who doesn't. (laughs) Um, it was a, it was a great experience. Lots of opportunities. Like our school trips was, they were to go climb glaciers for a week and then in the summertime we went out on like a real sailing ship where we were the crew out in the Oslo Fjord for a week like it was like incredible experiences (laughs) um and PE was cross-country skiing like we would bring our skis to school and wax them up and go out the front door and like go cross-country skiing out and out in front of the school in fact Scott and I just um a couple years ago we were able to go back and we took our took our kids to Norway. My dad my dad had been asked to go back. They were putting in a statue for um oh my gosh, why am I blanking? Um it's a Norwegian old, old apostle, really well known. Um oh, it will come to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they but the church was donating a statue and so my dad had been asked to go over and um and to be there for part of that and so Oh cool. Um four of my sisters and and uh well there were four of us total that went and we were able to take our kids with us to be able to be there and go visit the mission home and show them all of that stuff and I took them to my school and I'm like this is where we went cross-country skiing (laughs) and we went up over here we went orienteering like it was this just a crazy just different experience and then my 10th grade year the American school only went to ninth grade and so for my 10th grade year I went to the British International School, okay. which was downtown Oslo, uh-huh. just like a block behind the palace. So I rode the bus down <laughs> to downtown Oslo every day to go to school. And that was an incredible experience because in my 10th grade class, there were only 18 students. Wow. But there were 16 different nationalities. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it was mostly dignitaries um, mm-hmm. there. And like my best friend, her dad was the ambassador. Uh, for Mexico. Okay. So we used to go to hang out at the Mexican embassy after school because <laughs> that was just down the street. Yeah. Um, and so that was really just a really interesting. I learned a lot of Shakespeare that year. And um, my parents are just funny when they talk about coming for that parent-teacher conference because instead of like here where you go to like each teacher and, and you would meet they my dad's like I felt like I was defending my dissertation because <laughs> my parents sat in the middle of the room and then all of my teachers were in the room oh interesting. and they all went one by one talking about me and it was interesting because <laughs> it's like a full discussion like all yeah. these teachers get this comprehensive you know download of me but right it was just like <laughs> they were like it was really intimidating you know all these <laughs> British accents and stuff you know right. but it was a different it was a different form of education, but it was a really incredible experience. Yeah. Did you ever learn Norwegian? I learned, um, like church, I would say church Norwegian. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and enough to get around. Um, but my parents kept my sisters, three of us in the American system and then the British system just for credits to be able to transfer right. back because the Norwegian education system is so different. My sister that's just older than me, she um she was a junior when we went over and they wouldn't accept any of her credits the really? Norwegian school and there was nothing cuz then the British school only went to 10th grade but then we went home right um and so uh 
she ended up going to the Norwegian school, but she didn't get to graduate from the Norwegian school because she didn't have their credits. Okay. And then she wasn't able to graduate from an American school because she didn't have enough credits there. Oh, no. And ironically, she's my sister who has like three college degrees now. <laughs> I think she felt like she needed to prove herself. Right. But she, yeah, so she went She went through that system. They do it, it. Theirs is very different, their high school, where you, it's almost like college. You may, you go down a route of like math route or a language route and, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, you graduate in like schools, like different types of schools. And so it's a really different type of education. My little brother, who was five when we went over, my parents did put him into um, kindergarten there, and so he did kindergarten and first grade there, and he had the most beautiful Norwegian, <laughs> and he could just flip back and forth, and oh man, and he was like our he was like the mission mascot, you know, with all those elders, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everybody loved him, and so he actually ended up serving his mission to Norway. That's so cool. So I'm guessing that's three generations in yeah, your family all serving yeah, in Norway. Yeah. How cool. So it was a really, yeah, really cool. That's awesome. So were you just excited from the time your dad got called or was that a hard thing to leave it was, your, well, your I, friends? I, it was hard being 13 yeah. and yeah. you know, it's you feel like you're age. in that groove and yeah. it was really hard to leave, you know, um, but then it ended up being a really, you know, it was one of those things when we came back, it was like, okay, everybody's still here. Let's go back. <laughs> um, and so it was kind of hard then also my junior year to kind of come back and try to work my way back into those friendships that have gone on for three right. years during those teenage yeah. years. Um, and so, and to have that different experience, but, um, but it was good. You know, I don't have. I don't, you, know. you adjusted and you... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you made good friends there. Yeah. And, so yeah. it was good. It, you know, it all works out, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so it worked, it, it was good. And I actually had a second cousin who moved to the area the same, um, the same time that we came back. And so it was kind of nice that I, I had Camille that we were able to just like go in and I could introduce her to some of the friends... Yeah, that I had had, but yeah, but it was it was a little bit tricky just because you know teenagers and mm-hmm. friendships and yeah. you know a tough time anyway. Yeah, so. <laughs> things that happen, but it it was fine. It worked yeah. out really well. Yeah, oh, what a cool experience. Yeah, for That's sure. So cool. For sure. Is there anything else about your childhood you wanted to talk about? Oh, <laughs> you know, I think I don't know. I I you know I really. I really lucked out with my childhood. When I look back on my childhood, I feel very blessed and lucky. I had really good parents. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really good in how they taught the gospel. Um, just very loving, very accepting. My mom, my mom grew up in a home where um, her dad wasn't a member, um, and he was he was an injured vet from world war two. And Mm. so there, I think there were probably what we would call today, like a lot of PTSD, but you know, a little, he was also born in Ireland, but a little short tempered. (laughs) So he may come by that naturally as well. Um, and then my, uh, and then her mom was not active. She grew up in Boise and there was a church that was about two blocks away from her. And my mom just at a young age at, like age seven, like would get herself up and go to church. Like she just had that desire as a young child to, to be able to go to church. And, and then obviously my dad grew up in a home where his dad was also a mission president at the time. Mm -hmm. And so they were very, very strong in the church. And my mom always talks about like, I can't believe they accepted me, (laughs) you know, like she'll, she just didn't feel like she fit the same mold. But yeah. So, but yeah, my parents were just very, just really, you know, my dad is one of the most amazing people I know. Um, I feel so blessed to still have them here. That's huge. You know, I, and we had, we did have some, we've had some moments, you know, through the years COVID was one. He ended up in ICU and mm. there was another time where um, he, he, 
so he worked on campus at BYU for over 50 years. He was in wow. administration. He started just as a student working for the registration office and worked his way up to um, when we went to Norway, he was an associate dean of admissions. And then when we came back from Norway, luck was on his side and the dean of admissions was retiring. And so my dad applied for the dean of admissions position. And so he came, you know, BYU will guarantee you a spot of employment, but they don't guarantee you what that would be. Right. And so typically when mission presidents would come back who had served at BYU, they typically went back to faculty or, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was unusual for him to take a step up after serving as mission president, but then he became dean, dean of admissions and, you know, incredible experiences there and, and, you know, people that he worked with. And so between, and then eventually, um, he ended up, uh, when B or when the state of Utah celebrated a hundred years, mm -hmm. he was asked by the state of Utah, um, whoever was in charge of all the celebrations, he was asked to host, um, a hundred ambassadors to come to the state of Utah. And so he took that on and it became this thing that lasted for years, oh, not just the, wow. because it became so popular with the ambassadors and with dignitaries to come to the state of Utah and uh, he would host them. He would have them speak at BYU. So he worked with the Kennedy Center and with professors to make it you know, have your students come and listen to these dignitaries. Um, and so it was like this big ambassador program. And then he would take them up to meet with the first presidency. And that became incredible. The stories my dad tells, um, when this first started, President Hinckley was the prophet. Mm -hmm. and, and he talked about this on that 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace, about how many people he, how many dignitaries he had met. But to hear my dad's side talk about, like, President Hinckley, when these people would come from different countries and President Hinckley would greet them in their language. Wow. And he had studied up on what was happening in their current current country, you know, their current events in their countries. And he would spend the first 15, 20 minutes talking to these dignitaries about the needs of their country and what's happening in their country. And just a master in, you know, public relations yeah, and things absolutely. like that. And just incredible. Um, and so my my dad has been able to have these incredible experiences and because of that I've been lucky enough to be by his side for a lot of it and been able to meet some pretty important and pretty amazing people throughout my life. Did you get to meet President Hinckley? I have met President oh, Hinckley. So cool. In fact, when the Timpanogos Temple was dedicated, we were able to be in the celestial room and President Hinckley was in there. So cool. Um, at one point, um, I had met and talked with probably when I was in college like all of the 12 and the presidency yeah. um just just you know fortunate with what my dad did for his mm -hmm. position he was you know he was in charge of graduations and a lot of hosting and mm -hmm. um things like that and so and he's just because he's been at BYU so long he was there when President Oaks was was the, the president, president when yeah. Holland was the president, yeah. you know, so he has these, these relationships and friendships with, with a lot of them just through that natural part. And so, so cool. I've been really lucky. In fact, my dad was even because of these ambassador programs and the scholarship programs that he had done, he, uh, was knighted by the King of Norway. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and then when Holland was actually president he and my dad helped establish a scholarship program for the country of Jordan. Oh. And my dad has kept up with these relationships through the years. And it's actually become um, like an honor, like uh, a prestigious thing in Jordan to send your children to BYU to get an education because of our honor code, oh. because there's no co-ed living and there's no drinking and they live, you know, right. very similar to mm -hmm. the way that we live. Um, and so uh, most of their judges right now in the country of Jordan are BYU law graduates. Really? Oh, yeah. that's interesting. And so my, you know, my freshman year, we had several boys from Jordan. Yeah. In our, so that so. all comes from that scholarship program. And so um, the, and now we have a we have a 
campus in Jordan. Oh, we do? We do. You have a study abroad. Study abroad. Yeah. Okay. In fact, when my dad, um, so Elder Holland, up to this point, um, Elder, one of Elder Holland's areas has been Jordan to continue that relationship. And um, so my dad would go to Jordan a lot and had the opportunity to meet both kings, King Hussein and and uh, the king and queen now. Yeah. And um, he was able to help by, we have a church now in Jordan. Oh, that's cool. Which is really unique, which was interesting because he was approached by the church about going over there as service missionaries. And mm-hmm. my dad had said to them, I can't, I can't help you as a service missionary. They won't care about the badge. What they care about is BYU. Yeah. And so if I can go in as a representative of BYU, then then I think we can get approval to be able to purchase land in Jordan to be able to build a church. That's really cool. Yeah. Just to hear the doors that a church school can open like that. It That's... really it really is amazing the missionary work that happened just through Yeah. Just through that. It's really incredible. Oh, that's so fun. But and it's funny because you know, he teaches us and and my children and stuff. When he talks about patriarchal blessings, his patriarchal blessings said that you'll meet kings and queens throughout the world. And when he opened his mission call, it was to New York. Oh. And he really struggled through his whole mission that he was like, this is not what my patriarchal blessing said. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Um, but now when you look on the span of his life after 83 years, it really is amazing that what happened in the later part of his life right. and you know to really see that yeah it was it was still waiting to be fulfilled yeah. it was gonna happen yeah for sure that's so cool for sure um okay what would you like to tell us about next and then um I would say just talking about my testimony and talking about faith and and how we learn about faith you know I feel like because I've been blessed with such a such a good childhood and such amazing experiences and and testimonies and, and things like that that, you know, um, I would say prob- probably one of the hardest moments in my life came with my niece Afton and having to really, really trust and have faith and and hope through all of that. Um, she was, She's the most incredible girl. Like, she was one of these little babies that, you know, some they just come with these personalities. And she was the happiest baby in the entire world with the sweetest little voice. And she came out, like, speaking full sentences. Like, she was just, <laughs> she was so much fun and just happy. And that's just how she was, you know, as a child and as a teenager. We used to joke with her. Um, she... It was when Instagram first came out and all of her posts and these girls would do the bathroom selfies because it was before we could do a selfie on our phone and take a picture of herself in the camera and and her caption would always be like, bad day, but her selfie was her smiling with the thumbs up. And so we used to always joke about like, her captions aren't matching her, her pictures and you know, right. she just always, you know, even though it was a bad day, she'd always just really just be happy and... And her Instagram handle um, was mormongirl123. And this was before the church started saying, let's use social media. You know, she was one of, she was just naturally that person. And she lived in Mississippi in the heart of the Southern Baptist world. And she wasn't afraid of who she was. And, you know, yeah, and she would put out, uh, she was really, she was a pioneer of like, she'd put out these messages on her Instagram of scriptures or thoughts or, you know, things like that, that that was just who she was. She was always just, this is who I am and I love it and it's great. (laughs) And so her, at the end of her junior year in high school, she had just barely turned 17 and she, um, she was a competitive swimmer and she started feeling some pain in her back and pretty excruciating to where she was crying a lot which was just not her personality and really struggling so they went in and they did scans and they didn't see anything and so they're like the doctor said you might have just ruptured a disc or hurt her you know your back swimming and it was about a month later my sister was visiting my other sister who was in Indiana and 
and Afton had called crying because she was in so much pain. And, mm. and so it was one of those conversations again, like this isn't normal right. Afton behavior for her to be so down and, you know, and be crying. And my brother-in-law um, up in Indiana, so her uncle, um, he's an orthopedic surgeon. Mm-hmm. And so my sister was sharing with him what was happening with Afton. And he had said, I don't know how she would rupture a disc as a swimmer, right. you know, as a low impact sport. Mm-hmm. And so I would go back and I would ask for a full body scan because this doesn't, I, she said, yeah, up. it's not adding up to me. And so they went back and after a lot of, you know, back and forth and they finally did get the full body scan about mid-May and, um, and it came back that there was a tumor in her hip and they had just... Mm-hmm. Missed it by an inch oh my on the first scan, so she had that first scan in March, and by this, this is like middle of end of, end of March, and then about middle of May. So it really hasn't been a long time since she has started to feel pain, and they diagnosed her with Ewing sarcoma, which is the same cancer that Tegan Hayward okay. has dealt with, and so to really um, really illustrate the miracle that he has experienced in his life. Ewing sarcoma is, um, it's a childhood cancer. It's typically found in young teenage boys um, in their extremities. And so she was 17, just turned 17. She was a girl. She was already against the odds that she would have to deal with this type of cancer. Right. Um, And by the time she was diagnosed, it had already spread. Her, they said her hips looked like Swiss cheese. Oh there were so goodness. many holes. It had gone up her back, and then it was in her shoulders. And um, at the time of diagnosis, they um, she was in a children's hospital um, that was a Catholic hospital, so lots of nuns there that were praying for her. And, mm-hmm. and then these Southern Baptists that were all of her friends. And so the, when... Uh, they got the word they actually when she was diagnosed they actually gave her 48 to 72 hours oh my goodness and wow when you look when I googled Ewing sarcoma in stage four and you read about it it says there's a one percent chance of survival and when I read that of course I was just devastated Mm -hmm. and just I you know the world was just gray and I thought, oh my gosh, this is awful. Afton read that and saw, well, I can be the 1%. There's a chance. There's somebody <laughs> who survives, and that's going to be me. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And that's really what she did with her mindset was, I'm the 1%. I'm going to do this. And so they asked people to fast for her. And um, my brother-in-law, who was an orthopedic surgeon, he... Someone that he did his, uh, or he went through law school with, um, he was at Vanderbilt. And mm-hmm. Vanderbilt is one of the top children's hospitals for Ewing sarcoma, one of the top doctors there. And so Nick had called his friend and said, is there any way you guys can get my niece into Vanderbilt? Yeah. And he called back and he said, if you can get her here within 24 hours, we have a bed. We'll take her. And so... At this point, it's been about, you know, they've asked us to do a fast, and she has already lost the ability to walk. Her, she can't wiggle her toes, mm. and she can't swallow because there's a tumor by her jaw that is preventing her from swallowing. So she was on a feeding tube, and she was really going so fast. And they asked for a fast and started a Facebook page, and those nuns were fasting for her. These Southern Baptists were fasting for her. And of course, everybody we could reach out to fasted for her. Right. Someone donated a life flight to be able to transfer her from Jackson, Mississippi to um, Tennessee to be able to go to Vanderbilt. And uh, within those 48 to 72 hours, she was able to start wiggling her toes she was able to start standing up with a walker and she was able to start eating again. Wow. It was like the most incredible, like just to learn from her. It, so we shipped my 
that sounds bad, Chef. Um, <laughs> we brought my other nieces out to California for the summer to live with us mm-hmm. so that my sister could just be at the hospital with Afton right. the whole time and just focus on Afton. And, you know, it was such a devastating time, but it was also, I also look back on that time as like, it was also a fun and like bonding thing with my family. We would do, we would do lip sync nights and everybody all, you know, all my siblings, we all live in different states. We're all spread out. And, um, and so we would do these lip sync nights where we would give out, somebody would give out a song and everybody had to do a lip sync to that song. And then we'd all send them in and Afton would choose, you know, who was the winner of that night. And (laughs) we just had a lot of fun, you know, doing things like that. And, and so, uh, my parents ended up going out there to visit and to be up, you know, to the hospital to see her. And you could only have one person in the room with her at the time. And my dad, when my dad went in with her, you know, the talk got really spiritual with her. And here she is, a 17 year old girl. And she shared with my dad that her, motto for this fight and her scripture was going to be uh mosiah 24 14 and it's the scripture that says um and i will also ease the burdens which are put upon you which are put upon your shoulders that even you cannot feel them upon your backs even while you are in bondage and this will i do that you may stand as a witness for me hereafter and that you may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. And it was just such a, I mean, she's just this amazing person. And to know that that cancer was already going up her back and in her shoulders. and But she was going to use this to testify of Jesus Christ. And she really, really did that because she that Facebook page just became so popular (laughs) and you know she was featured in the church news um talking about her because she had really just brought together so many faiths through through this fight and just her strong strong testimony of i'm gonna be the one percent i've got the faith yeah i'm gonna do this and here i was the (laughs) aunt who's doubting the whole the whole time and just learning from the 17-year-old how to have faith and how to go through a trial and how to stay focused and, and positive. And I'm convinced it's because of her, her faith and coupled with her positive personality that really kept her strong through this fight. Mm-hmm. And so her senior year, here's her senior year, it's supposed to be the most amazing year for as a teenager. She's built it up as a competitive swimmer that this is when she's going to take state because her junior year, she came in, I think, third place in backstroke. And so she was, and the ones who got first and second were seniors. So she was set to, like, this was going to be a pinnacle year for her. And um, and instead, she spent that entire year fighting cancer. And she spent um, 120 days in the hospital because when you're under 18, and this is something we learned, too, as far as, because it's childhood cancer and she was 17, then she had to be in the hospital for all of her treatments. But, um, and so she was in the hospital for 120 days um, for her treatments. She did 70 doses of chemo Mm. during that time and 45 um, radiations during that time that she was going back and forth between both of those on a high dose of uh, pain medication at the same time because bone cancer is so awful. Right. Um, And yet during her senior year, she would attend school anytime that she could. She never had to go to the ER sick. She never got any infections from any outside sources. She was able to stay on schedule the entire time, which was just a miracle on her own. She was crowned homecoming queen with her sweet little bald head and that yeah. crown on top of it and was able, she was walking with a walker. I mean, what senior wants to go around with like, you know, you worry about your bad hair days or what your <laughs> outfit looks like, right. or, you know, here she is with the bald head and she's walking with a walker as a senior and, um, she was still named swim captain, even though she couldn't make all the meat. She only, she only got to swim in one meet that year 
and she came in last mm-hmm. by far. Right. But swimming actually became like her therapy because it was home for her. Mm-hmm. She had spent all these years swimming, and when she was able to get in the pool, she was able to feel the most normal that she'd felt the whole time. Right. Because she was able to just, you know, that water just help her. And so even though she came in last, <laughs> she still competed her heart out and would just be there to rally uh, those, you know, the other students and stuff. She took the ACT while mm-hmm. she was going through all of this. Oh, wow. Got a 33. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> got herself a scholarship to BYU mm-hmm. and her whole dream. Um, but come May... Um, so it was like a year. So it's a year been a after full the cancer year. was caught. Yeah. They found out that the, she had gone through a short time where her scans were clear. Mm-hmm. About February, her scans came back clear. It was funny because I took Megan back to do New Year's Eve with her. And she was leaving to do those scans as we were driving away. And she was just so positive. And those were some of my favorite moments with her as... Um, my sis, my one of my younger sister and I went back with Megan, and my sister and I were sleeping in Afton's room, and there was one night that you know Afton couldn't sleep, so she I just crawled in bed with her and just laid in bed with her the whole night, and we just chatted about life and teenagers and you know <laughs> mean girls and you know right. all all that <laughs> stuff that you know you still experience even when you're going through these you know experiences. And just chatting with her all night long about life until she was able to finally fall asleep about 3 or 4 o'clock. Um, and then she left to go do those scans as we left to go to the airport. And I just thought, I think I just hugged her for the last time. Mm-hmm. And then her scans came back clear. And it was like, oh my gosh, this girl <laughs> it just keeps teaching me. Right. And, but then in May, uh, she did start to feel pain again. And they went back and the cancer had spread all over again. And because she had had so much high doses of chemo, Mm -hmm. she couldn't have any more chemo. Oh, wow. Um, And they didn't feel like she would last long enough to be able to start a trial to go without chemo and because it was just spreading so fast. So then she changed her goal, and her goal was she just wanted to graduate from high school. Mm. And that was going to be two weeks away. And that was going to be her goal was to just graduate. And then um, she decided that she wanted to go to the temple before she passed. (laughs) She was 17. And my sister calls this her Make-A-Wish because she didn't get to have a Make-A-Wish because she refused because she was going to be the 1%. Right. And um, so she had said to my sister that I want to go through the temple. I want to receive my endowment because I know that I will be of greater help immediately on the other side if I can go endowed. And so at the time, this was before the missionary age changed, I think. Mm -hmm. It was unusual for someone to go through the temple at that age. And so um, my dad had made some calls and Sunday night we got the phone call that uh, Salt Lake had approved for for her to be able to go through at 17. And, um, and so literally it was like our own 10 virgin moment because we found out on a Sunday night that she was going to be going through the Baton Rouge temple, uh, on Friday afternoon. So you had to have your temple recommend already. (laughs) You had to have the means to get yourself to Louisiana. Right. Um, and what was so incredible was there's six siblings in my family and there's eight siblings in my brother-in-law's family. And they did just a special session in the temple where it was just our family in there. And all, all siblings were able to be in the temple with her. That's incredible. 
And it was the most, that's the day that really the temple changed for me and my perspective of being in the temple and what we're doing there. To be in that room with only family members and to be with someone <laughs> that you know is preparing to be God. And in a short time, and as tragic as it was, it was beautiful. And it was very, like, it was exactly, you know, what the temple is about. And to be held in that instruction room as you watched her progress through was just an unbelievable, you know, experience to kind of feel like, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here and I can't help, but she's right. going. And, and then to walk into the celestial room and have her be the one that's greeting us as we're coming into the celestial room was just beautiful and greeting us with that smile. Um, and then to be in the celestial room with only family. And I will tell you, we didn't whisper. <laughs> it was, it was, and I joked about that, that I'm like, this is heaven. Right. This is what it's going to be like. I don't think Heavenly Father is going to come and shush us. <laughs> He's going to be okay with us laughing and catching up with each other and and having a good time and mingling around. And we were in that celestial room for a long time, and it was really just a beautiful, beautiful experience that can, I'm going to say, I never hope is repeated right. here on earth, but um, it was just, it really changed the perspective of, the temple ceremony for me yeah, and that she allowed me that opportunity to really witness that and to be a part of that for her to have such faith and uh, know what she wants determination um, to progress through this life and then into the next life and to be able to have that eternal perspective and so it was just it was just an incredible experience to be there. Absolutely. And then the next day she turned 18. And we went back to Mississippi with my sister. And we stayed there for a few days, spending some time with her and just telling stories. And then her graduation was that following Friday. So a week after we went through the temple, we Scott and I had flown home. And my parents were still there and um for her high school graduation mm -hmm. and the day of her graduation they we got the text messages that were like we don't know if she's gonna make it to graduation and so she received a blessing and that miracle happened again where um the pain left her body and she'd spent the whole day incoherent and just in a ball in pain and the pain left her body and she was able to get up after that blessing, get ready for graduation, go to graduation and sit through. Like graduations are not fun to sit through right. for anybody. <laughs> um, sit through that graduation and then use her walker and walk across and receive her diploma herself. And then literally as she walked through the door of her home, the pain came back on and she got in bed and Sunday morning, she passed. And so, it's just amazing because, like I said, here she is in this Southern Baptist, living in the Southern Baptist world where they typically do not like Mormons. Mm -hmm. And uh, one, of, one of the preachers or ministers of uh, one of the congregations there who has a big church called my brother-in-law and he offered his church to them to be able to host her funeral because he said I know you're building they have a really small building there in Vicksburg yeah. and um, it's like I know your building won't be able to hold the people who will want to come to Afton's funeral and so we want to offer you our church which was just unbelievable it ended up being, um, they had it at the city center. The mayor, the mayor contacted and said, no, we would like to have it 
here. And so they chose to do it at the city center. And it was just really amazing to see the people that she touched through her fight and because of who she was and her positive messages throughout about testifying of who she was and what was most important to her and to have shared that temple experience with others that that was her make-a-wish that's what she wanted to do that she loved Christ and so when you look back on that scripture I'll read it again it says and I I will also ease the burdens which which are put upon your shoulders that even you cannot feel them upon your backs even while you are in bondage and this will I do that you may stand as a witness for me hereafter and that you may know of a surety that I the Lord God do visit my people in their afflictions and I'm just so grateful for this mighty little 17 year old barely 18 for her testimony of who she was she really taught me so much as an adult about perspective her yearbook they received after after graduation because she hadn't been at school and her little senior quote underneath her picture says be strong when you are weak be brave when you are scared and be humble in your victories mm-hmm. and i thought what a powerful testimony and last words from a mighty little teenager Absolutely. so i'm just as probably my greatest faith building moment in my life and it's absolutely it's hard even though you know I my heart hurts for my sister oh for the burden that she has to carry you know right you know that having that eternal perspective in the gospel helps a little bit <laughs> right but it doesn't take doesn't away take that away pain everything. no and that hurt and that sadness but i'm so grateful i'll always be so grateful for that little 17 year old who taught me how to have faith and taught me that to have eternal perspective and really taught me about the temple and how important what what is really happening and taking place right when we're there yeah oh man thanks for sharing that debbie that's there's so many wonderful parts of that i mean like you said as tragic as as it is i mean i can just imagine like you said the temple makes everything you do there so real right i mean it's not just this theoretical oh some person somewhere i'm helping but now that you've had your niece there with you in the temple and know that she's now on the other side working with all those souls yeah it's just it makes it so real and then to see her impact on her community yes and how just amazing how one person can bring so many people together of different ideas and perspectives and religions and um can unite people that's for sure at least there's that silver lining in in the pain right yeah for sure yeah for sure yeah and it sounds like it really helped you with your faith in terms of seeing Heavenly Father work with his children. And it's one of those things that, like, we didn't get the miracle we were praying for. Right. Sometimes that's hard if that's what the focus is. But then you miss all the miracles along the way that took place during that year. And so she was originally given 48 to 72 hours to live, and she lived one year and 48 hours. Right. And so it was really, we just kind of call that you know, that bonus year with her where she taught us so much about the gospel. And I even talk about, you know, I often refer to that week before she passed as her own holy week as mm-hmm. she was preparing us yeah. to be able to live here without her and really help us be able to have that eternal perspective of what we're doing right? and why oh, we're doing it. That's beautiful. So... Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing that. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? I think so. I think. Okay. 
Good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Oh, I'm sure you. there's so many sisters that can relate relate to so many parts of that story, and it's it's wonderful to hear it through your eyes and to hear how that affected your your life and your yeah. faith. So, thank you so much thank for you. coming on, Debbie. We really appreciate it. I'm so grateful to Debbie for sharing those experiences with us. Immediately after we stopped recording, I asked her how Afton's family is doing today. She said it has been rough, and we talked about how faith doesn't shield us from pain and difficulty. It's like President Nelson has said, the only way to take sorrow out of death is to take love out of life. It sounds like there was an incredible amount of love there, so it's only natural that there would be an enormous amount of grief too. If you feel so inclined, I say we all send a little prayer heavenward for Afton's family to continue to feel God's comfort and peace. Thanks again to Debbie for her comments, and please let her know what stories you really enjoyed. Thanks for listening.